Hello, everyone, and welcome to Full Time, where we take you around the world of soccer locally, regionally, nationally, and internationally. Full Time is presented by the Game Sports Show and powered by the Game Entertainment and Media. You are listening to Season 3, Episode 3 of Full Time. I am your host, Daniel Scarpino, and with me is our co-host, Gaetano Gallo. Before we begin today's show, Full Time is sponsored by Little Caesars Pizza. With their two locations in Sault Ste. Marie, Ontario, you can download and access the Pizza Portal app so you can enjoy a delicious hot and ready pizza from Little Caesars today. We remind our listeners that recordings of Full Time occur weekly or bi-weekly, and uploads to all of our platforms for public viewing and listening occur weekly or bi-weekly as well. Folks, welcome to the month of February. You may notice that something is a little bit different this episode. We are officially on camera recording live. Gee, another great next step here for us on full time and a really cool feature for our listeners to actually see us as we talk about the beautiful game. How are you, man? I'm doing great, Scarps. How are you? I'm doing really well, G. And uh, in today's show, we are going to be having an in-depth look at many different things. Uh, starting no further, of course, than Manchester City's uh, recent news in regards to their charges uh, to alleged breaches of financial rules. We'll also talk about how the January transfer window finished up. Sean Deitch signing on as Everton's new manager, Europe's Big Five, a preview of the upcoming Champions League matches and where things stand in the Carabao Cup. As always, if anyone would like to listen to our previous content, please check us out at full time on the Game Sports Show. And without further ado, Gaetano, and to everyone who has taken the time to tune in here today, let's kick off. We begin today's show by looking at the most recent news in the world of football. That news surrounds your Manchester City, Gaetano. Man City have been charged by the Premier League for numerous alleged breaches of financial rules. The Premier League has referred the case to an independent commission, Gaetano. I feel like this is not my place to start uh, this conversation in terms of opinions or feelings. And this is the club that you've loved and supported and back since before I even knew you 10 years ago. Can you just kind of run through what you're feeling given this news uh, that just has recently broke? Yeah, so uh, I guess before I say anything on this, I'm not a financial expert or a legal expert. So anything I say is just my thoughts. It means nothing. Uh, but I, I'd say I'm disappointed, but not surprised. Uh, the club's uh, finances have been under heavy scrutiny ever since the Sheik bought the club in 2008. Uh, you know, our first season playing in the Champions League, uh, UEFA immediately started investigating our finances. Uh, financial fair play was brought in partially to uh, prevent teams like Manchester City and Paris Saint-Germain from kind of uh, overspending uh, and kind of uh, outspending everyone, really. Um, but yeah, it's... Uh, yeah, not not overly surprising that these charges have come up. I am kind of surprised some of these charges date back to the year that the Sheik took over. So I'm kind of confused as to why the Premier League uh, has waited almost 15 years to like file these charges, uh, whether their accounting and uh, auditing departments are just that far behind in general. Um, I'm really, I'm not too sure what to make of it. Uh, I am confident though, quietly confident, uh, that we will be found uh, kind of innocent of all this. Uh, and then the Sheik and uh, like their, the front office, they've kind of earned that after the UEFA charges uh, in 2020. They put out a statement saying these falses aren't true and we will go to court and we'll prove that it's not true. And they did. So they've kind of earned that trust that when they came out over the weekend and said that these charges were false and they were going to fight them in the courts uh, to prove their innocence, you know, they've earned that trust that they are in the clear and they're going to uh, clear their name. Well, and it looks like they might uh, do that once again. Like you said, they're certainly confident of that. The footballing public, maybe not so much, but what we're going to do here, Gaetano, I'm going to read an excerpt. And this excerpt that I'm about to read is in regards to Manchester city, of course, and their alleged breach of financial rules. And this has been attained from size, uh, sky sports. And this is this really what it's going to do. It's going to allow you, our listeners to get a full backstory as to what's transpired here with this sort of shocking story regarding Man City. The article begins by stating, quote, Manchester City have allegedly breached financial rules spanning from the 2009-2010 season to the 2017-2018 campaign. The club are alleged to have breached league rules regarding and requiring provision and utmost good faith of accurate financial information that gives a true and fair view 
of the club's financial position. The league says the accurate financial information required related to revenue, including sponsorship revenue, its related parties, and its operating costs. The second set of breaches listed refers to alleged breaking of rules requiring a member club to include full details of manager remuneration in its relevant contracts with its manager. Related to its uh, to the season in 2009, uh, sorry, 2009, 2010, to 2012 to 2013 is all inclusive. The club's manager between December 2009 and May 2013 was current Italia boss Roberto Mancini. The second uh, set of alleged breaches also refers to requirements for a club to include full details of player remuneration uh, within uh, the relative contracts for the seasons of 2010-11 to 2015-16 inclusive. The third section of deals with alleged breaches of Premier League rules requiring clubs to comply with UEFA financial fair play regulations between 2013-14 to 2017-18. In 2020, Man City had a two-year ban from European football overturned by the Court of Arbitration for Sport after being handed a suspension by UEFA's club financial control body in February of 2020 for serious breaches of club licensing and financial fair play regulations. The fourth set of allegation, uh, alleged breaches relates to the Premier League's profitability and sustainability rules in seasons 2015-16 to 2017-18 inclusive. Finally, the club are alleged to have breached league rules requiring members to cooperate and assist with Premier League uh, with its investigations from December 2018 to the current date. The Premier League, which opened its investigation in March of 2019, has referred the alleged offenses to an independent commission. As to the decision on this case, it surely awaits for Manchester City. And Manchester City as a club have stated, quote, Manchester City FC is surprised by the issuing of these alleged breaches of the Premier League rules, particularly given the extensive engagement and vast amount of detailed materials that the EPL has provided with. The club welcomes this review of this matter by an independent commission to impartially consider the comprehensive body of irrefutable evidence that exists in support of its position. As such, we look forward to this matter being put to rest once and for all, end quote. The numbers suggest the following based on the charges. Man City have been charged by the Premier League and assisting Premier League investigations on 30 alleged breaches of Premier League rules. Man City have been charged by the Premier League of, on profitability and sustainability on 25 breaches of Premier League rules. Man City have been charged by the Premier League on manager remuneration on eight alleged breaches of Premier League rules. Man City have been charged by the Premier League on accuracy of financial information on 50 alleged breaches of Premier League rules. The punishment that the independent commission can impose on the club are as follows. Suspend the club from playing league matches. Points deduction. Recommend to the board that the league matches be replayed. Recommend to the board that the league expels the respondent club. Order compensation. Cancel or refuse registration of players. Conditional punishment. Order the club to pay costs. Make other orders as it thinks fit. Gaetano. These are the facts, these are the details, and these are the realities. What exactly can you make of all of this, first as a City fan, and second as a football fan? As a City fan, uh, you know, the, the threat of the charges like, personally doesn't affect me. Like, I'm not an, an owner, a member, anything, you know. Uh, so whether, you know, City's playing in the Champions League or in League Two, whether we're away at the Bernabeu or at Barnsley, like, I'm a City fan. Like, I'm going to follow the team. That's just how it's going to be. Um, I, I really like the city like supporters reaction to this because it was basically 50% memes and 50% uh, people talk about how awesome the away days uh, in the lower leagues of the English football are and how excited they were for it. So, you know, it, it's very, you know, optimistic. Um, so as a fan, you know, what happens happens. It's out of all of our hands. Uh, I will say, though, that uh, having an independent uh, in quotations, commission headed up by a member of the Arsenal board is not entirely independent. <laughs> um, but I mean, as a football fan, like if if we broke these rules, and even as a city fan, if we broke these rules and they have the proof of it and we can't defend it, then absolutely we you know deserve that punishment and take it. And yeah, I think uh, it's really just up to at this point uh, that independent commission. And uh, I know the city board; they are going to fight it, and I know the Premier League is going to kind of fight back about it. So. It should be uh, interesting. Well, I think you hit on a lot of good points there, G, but uh, certainly you are humble in, in such a way where you're saying it doesn't matter if we're playing lower league, if we're playing still in the Premier League, you're, of course, going to support your club through and through. 
And I did have several conversations last night, G, when I was playing uh, soccer myself at the NCC here in uh, Sault Ste. Marie, and I had these conversations with guys that I knew. And it seems like everyone kind of has a different opinion on it. But for you personally, just kind of going on gut feeling, what do you think is actually going to happen? So I think because UEFA kind of hit us with the same threats uh, back in 2020 of you're going to get kicked out of the Champions League and hundreds of millions of dollars in fines. Uh, and they they came with a really, really bad case, actually, to the Court of Arbitration for Sport. Uh, yeah. Repeatedly, they found that there was no evidence of any of their accusations. And City only ended up getting about a 10 million euro fine for uh, basically for failing to com comply with the investigation. Um <sighs> Gut feeling is probably points deduction this season. I can't see them like one of the threats uh, for punishments was like replaying matches. Like how how are you logistically? How are you going to do that? Yeah. Like you're going to like you know a game from seventeen eighteen. Okay, so we got to get Leroy Sané back from Germany. We got to get Raheem <laughs> Sterling from Chelsea. Got to get Vinny Company out of retirement. Like you, they're they're really going to do that? No. Like uh so i think like stuff like that is just ridiculous the most i could see is probably points deductions and fines um I, again i can't see them i think the premier league is smart enough to realize that manchester city is good for the brand they're going to bring in money and supporters and to you know to kick manchester city out of the premier league would just not be a smart financial decision for them you know i think that i hope they're smart enough to realize that you know um, so I would I would expect probably points deductions and uh, fines if they were to be found guilty. Yeah, and you know what, Gaetano, I do think that some of the suggestions, the ones not so much that I heard last night, but because everyone was kind of online with in line rather with what we're thinking and saying, but people are saying to well, they're going to take their Premier League trophies away and everything else that they won. Well, that's not going to happen though, is it? And they're not going to make them replay matches like you said they're not going to bring yeah. players out of absolutely nowhere so uh, suggestions like that i don't think fit i do think that the points deduction i think is most likely a lot of the things that i have been reading and seeing is people are saying well don't hit them with any fines because the money doesn't matter clearly the money doesn't matter so the points deduction is where it hurts the most and then the one that's kind of the most contentious bit is the the whole idea of relegation which of course could happen but i do also think that a, a huge point deduction or at least some form of a point deduction is probably in line unless of course it's another disastrous uh case like how uefa prepared for it previously yeah. in which case nothing will happen and, and then we just move on with life but as this story develops and it will develop as time goes on we can assure you our listeners that we will keep you all up to speed here on full time regarding the charges against one of the biggest clubs in world football, Manchester City. Now, on a bit of a lighter note, let's have a look at our January transfer window closed out. Gaetano, certainly there was more than enough business to go down this past month. If you could, if just one word, just one word to summarize this January transfer window. So I'm, I'm going to go two, because and I, I always refer to the transfer windows as this. It's silly season. I love the rumors, the the crazy gossip, the, you know, the last minute, you know, deadline day is one of my favorite days of the year because it's just panic online. Uh, just, yeah, silly season. I like that. And it does sound pretty accurate, G. And the, the word that I'm going to use is spontaneous. And yeah. uh, I think I, I say that only because it seemed like there was a lot of spontaneous moves, like moves, like you said, on the, the deadline day with how many clubs and people were panicking online. I think a lot of it was spontaneous, but uh, there were a number of signings this window that were spontaneous, but others that, of course, were planned and others that really caught us by surprise. Uh, some reactionary type stuff as well this window. But regardless, what uh, we do have a good amount to talk about, I would say, and that's always fun for everybody involved. And what we're going to do now is we are going to take all of you through the final news of the transfer window in the world of football from this past January. Uh, in our previous episodes of Full Time, which were seasons uh, three, or sorry, beg my pardon, season three, episode one and two, uh, we took an in-depth look at the first three weeks of the transfer window. So if anybody had missed those, be sure to check them out on Full Time. Once again, the following transfer market information that I'm about to relay has been attained from The Guardian. So if anyone is looking for up-to-date transfer market news that did occur in January, be certain to check them out. Kamaldine Suleimane goes from Rennes to Southampton. Nathan Jones is delighted that the 20-year-old who played twice for Ghana at the World Cup has signed for the Saints. He joined Southampton for £22 million. Ilya Zabarny leaves Dynamo Kiev for Bournemouth. The Cherries de uh, desired the 
new, uh, the new center back is one of the world's most sought after young defenders. The Ukrainian joins for 24 million pounds. Bettina goes from Braga to Marseille. The French side beat hosts of Premier League clubs to the signing of the highly regarded 22-year-old. He joins for 28 million pounds. Anthony Gordon departs from Everton and goes to Newcastle. Newcastle boosts their top four push with a 40 million pound move for the highly rated winger who has ch- who was chased rather by Chelsea in the summer. Gordon says, quote, people haven't seen my best yet, end quote. Enzo Fernandez leaves Benfica for Chelsea. Chelsea end their month of big spending with a British record fee for the World Cup winner after a frantic day of talks. Fernandez signs on for a fee of 106.8 million pounds. This brings Todd Bowley's spending since being in charge at Chelsea to a total of over 500 million pounds. Gaetano, in large part, this is how the window closes. First, what are your thoughts on these signings specifically? I think the Enzo Fernandez one, it's, it was obviously the biggest one, one of the biggest actually in world football ever. Um, that's a lot of money on a very unproven player, having only played six months in Europe. Uh, he did have a phenomenal World Cup, don't get me wrong. But uh, I think this this could go terribly for Chelsea or it could turn, turn out to be a bargain in a couple of years, really. Yeah, it's basically throwing dust into the wind and seeing what happens. But certainly he's he's shown himself to be a good player at the World Cup, but he's still young. He still isn't totally proven. It's a lot of money for certain. It definitely caught me by surprise. And gee, not all moves that occurred late in the window were mentioned. Were there any others that caught your attention specifically? Um. Kaylor Navas to Nottingham Forest on loan. Uh, I thought that was a great move for him. Uh, he's way too good of a goalie to be uh, rotting on PSG's bench behind Donnarumma, which obviously is a phenomenal goalie in his own. But uh, he definitely deserves to be playing in a top league. And I think this is a great uh, kind of under the radar move for them. And Gio, I'll ask you this now on a scale of one to 10, how entertained were you with this transfer window? Entertained 12. The whole like... <laughs> Just Chelsea spending all of their money on everyone was highly entertaining for me. It was just anytime there was a name linked, it was immediately like, so if like Arsenal was linked to someone, the next day, Chelsea's linked to them. Manchester City are linked to someone, Chelsea's linked to them. It was was funny to watch. It certainly was. And actually, my buddy's a Chelsea fan. I was talking with him yesterday. And the way that he described it was when a father takes his son to to a candy store and the father says, here, you can buy whatever you want. And the kid (laughs) just goes crazy. And I found that to be a, a pretty cool analogy. But uh, I will also say that it was an entertaining window, to say the very least. Uh, and what we're going to do here, folks, is a little classic uh, rapid fire, if you will. Gee, I'm going to just swing some quick questions your way, and you let me know your thoughts. You ready? Yep. So the most impactful signing of the January transfer window was who? Uh, this is going to be real left field, but Sean Johnson to Toronto FC. Uh, they've not had an elite goalie since Clint Irwin back in 2016. And he just stabilizes that back end and adds a lot of experience. MLS Cup uh, final MVP, not last season, season before. Phenomenal addition. And I think Toronto FC is going to be bound for a good season upcoming for sure. For me, it's uh, Joao Cancelo. I think it's a great deal of business for Bayern, uh, who are one of the world's greatest clubs and who now have one of the world's greatest fullbacks, at least in my opinion. The shock signing of the transfer window was who? Uh, Jao Cancelo to Bayern. That happened kind of over a weekend. Um, but he fell out with Pep uh, over game time. And Pep's kind of shifted his tactics a little bit uh, this year. We used to play, it was a back four. The two fullbacks would press up really high. And Rodri, the CDM, would drop in to make the back three. But this season, uh, the shift has been more seeing uh, Rico Lewis, the right back, shift into midfield. And the left back being Nathan Ake or uh, John Stones shifting in to make the back three, which kind of leaves him without anywhere to play. Um, and it just kind of happened so quick. It was, uh, he was in the squad on Friday against Arsenal and on Sunday he was uh, in Munich. So definitely a shock. Yeah. And Pep spoke so highly of him, but like you said, it was a playing time issue and that he wasn't necessarily fitting into how things changed at Manchester city, but I'm sure you'll find good success regardless in Munich. And for me, the, the shock signing was Anzo Fernandez. And the only reason I say it is purely because of price. Uh, it was an insane amount of money for me. He is a good player, as we talked about, a World Cup winner and uh, proven at the World Cup. But, you know, I take a look at him. Does he fit into Chelsea? Possibly. I don't know if he's going to be a Graham Potter type player. 
He's the type of player who can drop deep, pick up the ball off of his fullbacks. He's good on the ball. He's very press resistive. Uh, he's good off of the ball in terms of his work rate. He can put in a tackle and he makes good decisions in the final third as well. But I just feel like it's an insane amount of money for a very good player who, you know, he, he is a very good player, but he's still super young. And I also felt like when City bought Jack Grealish, for example, I thought $100 million was still too much. So I just feel like these sort of figures are just so astronomical. It just kind of, it's hard for me to get my head around, G. Yeah, absolutely. The happy surprise signing of the January transfer window was who? Uh, so I mentioned it, I believe, last uh, episode, but Kyle Aaron to Real Valladolid uh, in La Liga. Uh, he's been kind of slowly progressing through Europe uh, in Belgium and Turkey. Uh, and this is a big chance for him to play against some of the best teams in the world and uh, really prove himself and cement himself in Canada's squads. That's a good show indeed. Uh, I'm going to go and say Jorginho. And the only reason I say that is because I didn't see this one coming whatsoever as an Arsenal fan. So I was super surprised. Uh, 31 years of age, not highly sought after by a ton of clubs and just sort of a weird one for me. I never expected him to leave Chelsea. That said, as an Arsenal fan, I'm certainly not mad about it because I think he is a good quality player who still has uh, some good years left in him for sure. The team who did the best business financially uh, it's got to be Arsenal, uh, not just for the kind of uh, small amounts they paid for the couple of players that came in, like Jorginho, which is good depth, uh, but they didn't uh, panic spend. Uh, they were quoted at about, what, 65 mil for uh, Caicedo from Brighton, and they could have absolutely, especially given their league position, kind of panicked and said, you know what, we'll pay it, bring him in, uh, but they chose not to. They kind of made the very good, I think, uh business decision to not spend that money they didn't panic uh, yeah yeah i mean i would also say that arsenal certainly did good business this january as opposed to the zero business that they did last january if you remember <laughs> but uh, i'm going to go in a different direction here i'm going to say nottingham forest and the reason i say it is because they did bring eight players in two of those were on a free a few key players on loan deals i think getting danilo for 16 million was a great deal um, I think their outgoings allowed them to do some good business as five others were loaned out. So for me, I think Forrest did some good work this window and have really enhanced their chances of, of Premier League survival. The overall winner the transfer window. That's got to be Arsenal. Like I said, uh, you know, they brought in the good depth that they needed to. They didn't overspend when they could have, um, you know, and also bring a player in off a rival team like Chelsea, weakening them a little bit. Can't go wrong with that. So I'm, I'm also going to say Arsenal, but I don't want to brag too much because I feel I'm a little bit superstitious in a way that if I brag too much about my club, then things will kind of fold. So I will say Arsenal in terms of the business that they did, the players that they brought in. But what I'm also going to say is just purely from a spending perspective, because if we want to talk about the January transfer window and bringing players in, reluctantly, I'm just going to say Chelsea purely because of the money that they spent and because we don't know if these players are going to come good. Let's say, for example, 75 percent of the players that they brought in come good because they basically brought in a, a team's worth of players uh i think it, it will give them a good base going forward to get into europe european football again they're out of it right now but let's say it's uh assuming that they do get into european football if they get let's say fourth place i feel like that's going to attract more and more players so it's a reluctant answer to be honest but i'll say chelsea as kind of a secondary winner but of course, I would say that Arsenal did win uh, this uh, this transfer window here in January. The overall loser of the January transfer window? Uh, purely based on players, because we're going to bring up Sean Dyche uh, in a bit here. Uh, it's got to be Everton. Uh, no signings. Uh, they missed out on both of their major targets in Dang Juma, who went to Tottenham, and uh, Batshuayi, who I don't think went anywhere. Uh, and they sold Anthony Gordon for 40 million, which is good, but they didn't bring in any replacements. So they just weakened their squad uh, over January. I agree. And I'm actually going to go to a different Mersey club. I'm going to say that Liverpool were the biggest loser in this transfer window because virtually no business was done. The midfield remains the same. The club right now is in a bad way at the moment. And for me, the way I looked at Liverpool, it just wasn't a good month for them. And seemingly nothing is going right for them this season, despite still being in the Champions League, which we'll talk about a little bit later. And finally, G, honorable mentions and commiserations for this transfer window. Go ahead, sir. So it's funny. I had Liverpool in here. Uh, as, you know, bringing Cody Gakpo was a good deal. But like you said, they failed to strengthen their midfield, which has been one of their biggest weaknesses. 
Uh, and I also have Manchester City on here. Uh, we didn't bring in anyone to replace Jao Cancelo. Uh, so we right now uh, have no senior left backs uh, in our squad currently. But we did get about 15 million uh, pounds from the Pedro Porro transfer to Spurs because we had a, uh, a percentage uh, of his next sale at uh, Sporting, I think it was. So Very good. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think that those are definitely sensible uh, names to throw into that sort of realm. Uh, I'm going to say in terms of an honorable mention, I'm going to say Manchester United, uh, only because I think the little business that they did do was pretty sensible and it did help bolster what uh, Eric Ten Hag is doing there. So I think that they've they've done all right. I'm also going to throw Wolves in there uh, only because it seems like things are starting to click a little bit now for them. I know in, in some of our previous episodes last season, Gaetano, you had talked about Wolves quite a bit. Um, but they did a little bit of business in January, and, and I think that's, that's going to allow them to get off the table a little bit. The commiserations, I'm going to go for your loser of the, uh, the January transfer one. I'm going to say Everton, but only from a player perspective. I think they did a good thing to bring in the manager and Sean Dyche that will likely keep them up in the Premier League. Um, but I think Everton probably could have done with, you know, some more players for added cover pertaining to their survival hopes. But uh, I'm also going to say Juventus in terms of a commiseration only because their January was ruled by nothing but negative news. So they aren't in a great place for more reasons than one, not just for uh, transfers or lack thereof. And with that, the market is officially closed. Every transfer window of 532 deals were complete. The total value of the transfer market dealings comes to a whopping 966.9 million pounds. A transfer window to be remembered or possibly forgotten, depending on which club you support. And as we just discussed, it wasn't a player football talking towards the end of the January transfer window. Rather, it was a coach. Everton have got their man in charge in the dugout from here on out, and that man is Sean Dyche. Dyche becomes Everton's newest manager in the hopes to keep them up in the Premier League come the end of the season. Gee, we talked a lot last show about this one. Sean Dyche has been appointed as Everton manager officially. Your thoughts? Uh, I think he was definitely the best man for the job. Uh, if anyone in the world uh, is going to be able to keep them up, it's going to be him. Uh, like I mentioned, though, they failed to bring in any reinforcements, kind of give him a little bit of help. But uh, like I said, if anyone can do it, it's going to be him. So they got the best man. Uh, Sean Dyche has been brought into Everton. Jesse Marsh, who was sacked by Leeds United just a few days ago. Leeds now look for their next manager similar to Everton, in the hopes that they too will avoid relegation this season. Sean Dyche has his work cut out for him as he aims to keep the Toffees in the Premier League come the end of the 2022-23 season. Since the club's inception in 1887, its only relegations came in 1929 and 1930, as well as the 1950-51 season. This is Daniel Scarpino and Gaetano Gallo, and you are listening to Full Time on the Game Sports Show. A reminder that Full Time is sponsored by Little Caesars Pizza. You can download and access the Pizza Portal app for any of the two locations in Sault Ste. Marie, Ontario. Have a delicious hot and ready pizza from Little Caesars today. Folks, we will now take a look at Europe's Big Five. We'll start none other Premier League. After both Arsenal and Manchester City losses this past weekend, things remain status quo. It's Arsenal who remain at the top of the table with a five-point gap over City. Arsenal on 50 points and City on 45. Manchester United continue to creep their way up the table now in third place with 42 points. Newcastle remains steady in fourth with 40 points of their own. Tottenham on the outside of the top four looking inward with 39 points. Brighton currently hold the final Europa League spot in sixth with 34 points. Gaetano, it was an action-packed weekend of games, which is, of course is now behind us. But what can you say about the fixtures that we just saw from a few days ago at the weekend? Uh, Entertainment-wise, they were great. Uh, the results for both of us were pretty disappointing, but uh, I thought there were some phenomenal games played over the uh, last weekend. Yep, and we were just finished talking about Sean Dyche being appointed as Everton manager, his first game in charge of Everton. He's able to beat Arsenal. Harry Kane uh, setting the new Tottenham goal-scoring record against City, so... Definitely a little bit of lows for our teams this past weekend, but an entertaining weekend nonetheless. And things don't really slow down uh, from here. Uh, Manchester United and Leeds will play tomorrow on Wednesday, that is. And then the weekend fixtures begin Saturday at 7.30 a.m. Uh, can we expect more twists and turns from this game week, Gaetano? Yeah, I think there's a couple uh, 
pretty important fixtures coming up. Uh, that United Leeds game, I think, is going to be hectic. Uh, United still aren't fully a Ten Hag team, and I think Leeds they still have enough in them uh, in their style of play to give them problems. Uh, that West Ham Chelsea game look, looks like a great mid-table clash right now. I like yeah. being able to say that. <laughs> yep. uh, Brentford are going to cause some troubles for Arsenal, I'm sure. And uh, Villa are always difficult when City play them, so it uh, should be a tense one. Definitely. And I think if I'm not mistaken, Villa just lost at the weekend, so they'll be looking to bounce back. And then Brentford won at the weekend, so they'll be looking to continue their run. So definitely be some good games upcoming. Taking a look at the bottom of the table now with Southampton are still bottom with just 15 points. Bournemouth, second from bottom on 17 points. Currently look up to Everton on 18 points. Leeds, who currently have the 17th position, also have 18 points, but edge Everton on goal difference. West Ham, Wolves, and Leicester City are all within three points of the drop zone. Gee, it's a bit of a circus at the bottom right now, as it kind of has been, but some teams are starting to emerge a little bit. I talked about Wolves a little earlier. West Ham seems to be doing decent. Talk to us uh, about what's going on at the uh, the bottom end of the table, sir. Yeah, Southampton actually had a, an okay window, brought in some reinforcements. Uh, so I expect to see them kind of at least perform a little better. They might not get the results. They might end up going down, but at least the performance will be there. Uh, Bournemouth and Everton, I still don't think, have enough to get out of the, uh, the relegation zone right now. Even, you know, Sean Dyche. He's going to do his best. I, I'm not 100% sure that they will be able to. Just the players, uh, there's just not enough in that squad. And I really do hope to see Leeds kind of pull out of there. Uh, I've liked their story from uh, the championship to the Premier League and staying up these last few seasons. So I really hope they're able to pull it out. Yeah, I do too. And uh, one of the uh, the quotes that my buddy always says is that Leeds go hard. And uh, yep. I, like the fa- I like that quote a lot and it summarizes them perfectly. So I definitely want to see them staying in the Premier League. I think right now, like you said, yeah, Everton are in trouble. I still think, obviously, now with the new managerial appointment, that'll bode that'll bold well for them. Bournemouth, I think, are in serious trouble personally. Um, and then, obviously, the remaining spots, we'll have to see what happens. Moving things along to Italy, City, uh, 13 points separate front runners Napoli from second place Inter. Roma now occupy third place with Lazio in fourth. It really is Napoli and everyone else, Gaetano. Every statistical category shows just how dominant Napoli have been. But the eye test, when you watch them play, really proves just how amazing they are. It's 17 games to go, but I want to ask, does Napoli already have one hand on the trophy? They've got about a hand and a few fingers on the trophy, I think. If they manage to blow this, this would be one of the probably biggest failures that I can remember in any sport, really. I agree with that. And you know what? I, I watched them recently, and the one thing that stood out to me, not so much tactics, not so much uh, formation, system, anything like that, there's a certain calmness about the way that Napoli play, and I, I feel like it's a little bit difficult for me to explain, but you know, as a coach, you're always saying to your players, okay, let's stay calm, let's stay composed, let's stay cool, be collected, you know, calm your nerve. It just seems like everything that Napoli does in the pitch is just so calm and easygoing. Do, do you feel that as well? Yeah, like sometimes it feels like they're playing against like in like a Sunday league, like just how they're acting, like they're just not bothered by anything. And it's kind of like intimidating. I don't I'm not sure what they what their schedule looks like in Europe. But if I were playing against them, uh, like as a Premier League team or any from anyone else, I'd be watching those games and be like, we are in trouble. Oh, I agree with that. So, yeah, I don't know. For me, Napoli, like you said, hand in a few fingers, but certainly at least, at very, very, very least, one hand on that trophy in Italy. Taking a look at Spain's La Liga, it's Barcelona who find themselves on an incredible run of form, now widening the gap at the top of the table to seven points. Real Madrid remain behind them in second place. Real Sociedad and Atletico make up the remaining top four positions. Gee, Barcelona not occupying as many of the major newspaper headlines these days for obvious reasons, of course. But maybe it's a good thing because now they are seemingly just going about their business in the right way and in a quiet way. Your thoughts on La Liga? Yeah, they've kind of, yeah, like I said, quietly have just pulled away. Uh, I really didn't expect this. I thought Real Madrid would be kind of uh, either closer or uh, above them. Uh, but yeah, I think that's a very good season for Xavi. He's uh, slowly turning this team back into the Barcelona of old. And it's good to see. 
And depending on what type of momentum that Real Madrid gets from their potential Champions League victory, as, as we'll talk about here soon, things, you know, obviously there, there's a lot of time left. So we can't say that Barcelona are well ahead quite yet because we know how quickly things can turn in the world of football. And we know how good Real Madrid can be because they're just behind Barca in that second position right now. The Bundesliga in Germany sees things getting closer as opposed to further apart. After 19 games, Bayern Munich are top with 40 points, but they are only top by a single point. That is right, just one point se uh, separates them from second place, Union Berlin, who are on an incredible run themselves, winning four from their last four games. Not to be overly outdone, Borussia Dortmund, who are in third place with 37 points, are also on a four-game win streak. RB Leipzig, who have a difficult Champions League assignment, as we will discuss upcoming, currently are in fourth with 36 points. Frankfurt and SC Freiburg on the outside of the top four with 35 and 34 points, respectively. Gaetano, this is just an insanely cool title race uh, right now in Germany. Six teams legitimately in the running. This really is what football is all about. Your thoughts on the Bundesliga as things stand currently? Yeah, normally around this time of year, <laughs> Bayern's kind of got the league wrapped up, uh, you know, They've, you know, did their normal, you know, strengthening in the in the market in January and then kind of finish off the season before March. Uh, so for them to only be a point ahead of Union Berlin, of all teams, uh, in the first week of February is pretty nuts. Yeah, definitely. And I would say that of all of Europe's big five, this is probably the most intriguing title race only because there's so many teams that are involved in it. Usually, like you said, at this point, Byron's either pulled away or you might have maybe a Dortmund that's in second place or something like that. So at most, you might have one or two teams that are legitimately challenging. Right now, you have six, which is super, super cool. And in France's Ligue 1, PSG have propelled themselves a little further up the table, now having 54 points in the top position. Marseille have 46 points in second, with Lens equal on points in third place, but a slightly lesser goal difference. Monaco hold down the fourth position with 44 points. Gaetano, PSG, starting to make that inevitable push that we have previously talked about on our show. How much is the momentum swinging in their favor? Uh, I think it's starting to swing. Three wins in their last five games uh, is pretty good. They do have a tough game against Monaco coming up on the weekend, though, and that could, uh, with Monaco in fourth, that could be a potential title decider. Most definitely, and uh, obviously throughout the next little bit till the end of February, I think we'll have a really telling story about what's going to happen in Ligue 1. The return of the Champions League is imminent, ladies and gentlemen. Next week, we will have Champions League football back as the round of 16 gets ready to begin with the first leg of games. Gee, how excited are you for this wonderful competition to start up again after what seemed like an incredibly long pause, of course, because of the World Cup? Yeah, uh, Champions League is one of the best tournaments in the world. Uh, there's some really, really, really good matchups I'm really looking forward to. And to brief our listeners, the Champions League is now in the knockout phase. Specifically, it's the final 16 teams who are competing in the round of 16. Each match is played over two legs, so each team plays each other uh, twice, once home and once away. The teams with the better, or the team rather, with the better aggregate score at the end of the two legs will advance to the next round of the competition, which of course is the quarterfinals, which will consist of the final eight teams in the competition. We will now take you all, our listeners, through each of the ties in the round of 16, along with our analysis and predictions. First, it's one of the more highly anticipated matchups, and that is between PSG and Bayern Munich. Gaetano, a very intriguing fixture here. Your analysis and prediction for who advances to the next round. Uh, it's always great when two heavyweights meet uh, this early in the Champions League. This is going to be probably potentially one of the best ties uh, in the entire tournament uh, in the round of 16 here. Uh, both teams doing well domestically, top of their uh, tables respectively. I'm going to lean Bayern Munich on this one, though. Excellent. So G picks Bayern for that first one. And like I said, it's probably going to be one of the most intriguing, if not the most intriguing matchup of the round of 16. Milan and Tottenham will see each other in the next round of 16 matchups. G, what does this matchup look like and who do you have coming out after two legs? So I think I'm going to go with AC Milan. I think I like their squad depth a little better. Uh, they know how to win trophies, which Tottenham doesn't know how to do, uh, especially the squad coming <laughs> off of Scudetto last uh, season. I think uh, they just have a little more experience, a little more, 
what's I don't even have the right pro. They 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 have the confidence. They know what they're doing. They'll get it done. And I didn't mean to cop out of the last one. You picked Bayern. I'm picking PSG. Uh, so yeah. I wanted to make sure that that was clear. I did forget to mention that. I just feel like PSG might have a little bit more quality to get themselves over the line. You know, they probably have wrapped up France already. I just feel like the way that things in the Bundesliga are really uh, competitive right now, I think Bayern might have to shift their focus there. But that's just kind of my gut feeling. And reluctantly, I'm going to say that Tottenham win this. I don't want to say that. I want Milan to win this. Uh, and I want to be on your team in that way uh, because I can't stand Tottenham, of course. But I just have a funny feeling that there's kind of a little bit of a shift that Tottenham people want to Conte out. Now they want him in and they're seemingly playing some good football over the past few matches. So I'm going to take Tottenham. Club Brugge and Benfica will meet up in the round of 16 as well. G may be a less appealing contest relative to the other fixtures, but it is the Champions League, and we know that never disappoints. What do you expect here, and who comes out on top in the end? I think this should be an interesting one. Uh, Benfica losing out on Enzo Fernandez uh, in January to Chelsea is definitely going to weaken them a little bit, but I do think they'll have a l- just still a little too much for Club Brugge. Yeah, and I'm also in the same boat as you. I think that they will have a little bit too much for uh, Club Bruges. I think that Benfica is going to win. I don't think it's going to be a huge margin of victory, but I definitely see them going to the quarterfinal of this competition. Borussia Dortmund takes on Chelsea in the round of 16. These are two teams who have taken their time to find their way this season. What do you expect from these games, and who do you think takes it after two legs, G? I think this... I'm like I'm really torn on this one because... Initially, I want to go Chelsea. I think they have a really quality squad, but they haven't been playing great uh, under Graham Potter yet. And Dortmund have kind of struggled earlier in the season and now are finding their form. So I think it might be a narrow one, but I'm going to take Dortmund. Okay. And I also think it's going to be narrow, but I'm going to go different. and I'm going to say Chelsea. I feel like even though they might not be uh, a Graham Potter team quite yet, I feel like they just might edge it. So uh, for me, I think it's going to be Chelsea. Last year's Champions League final consisted of Liverpool and Real Madrid. This year, the two sides will meet in the round of 16. Gee, Liverpool having a tough goal of it this season, while Real Madrid seemed to be pretty steady. What happens here in this rematch of last year's final, and who wins this time round? Uh, I think we're going to get a same, similar result as uh, the last final uh, with Real Madrid winning. I think their midfield is just far, far superior, and that's where the game is going to be won. Uh, they know that that's going to be their uh, their strength and they're going to play in there and they're going to beat Liverpool. Yeah, and I agree with that. I feel like Liverpool are, obviously they are having a really tough season, but I don't think it's going to get any easier for them. They probably would have wanted anybody else in this competition. And I feel like it's a bad time for them to run into Real Madrid. So I'm also going to take Real Madrid here. Frankfurt take on Napoli in the round of 16. Gee, both teams in different ways are having by their standards fantastic seasons. What do you expect from this tie and who ultimately will be the victor? So I'm going to take Napoli here. Like I said uh, a few minutes ago, they're just, they're playing on a different level than anyone else right now. Um, and I just don't think Frankfurt has nearly enough to, to stop that. Yeah, I don't think that Frankfurt has anything to cope with uh, the way that Napoli is, has been playing or how they're going to match up against them. So I also am going to take Napoli. RP Leipzig will take on your Manchester City Gaetano. Tactically, two different teams, but tactics won't win these games uh, specifically. Performances will. What will happen in this contest, G, and who advances to the next round? So a few weeks ago, I would have said Manchester City are going to kind of run away with this, but uh, RB Leipzig has kind of found their form in these last few weeks, got a couple of good results, and City kind of have been out of form. So uh, luckily, the, the tie is on the 22nd. We have a little little bit ways longer uh, to find some form going into it but I do think Manchester City just have too much for Leipzig and we will come through and I agree with that too and I feel like City definitely have too much and and Pep will certainly guide his side to a victory two victories perhaps over Leipzig and I think that they will see themselves through to the quarterfinal finally it's Inter and Porto will face up in the round of 16 two teams with plenty to talk about but only one will be bragging after two legs Gaetano who will it be and how will they do it uh, I think it is going to be Inter. Uh, Porto is a good team, but I just think Inter, that squad is very, very solid front to back. Uh, and I just don't think Porto is going to have enough to deal with that. Yeah, and I agree with that fully. I'm also going for Inter. They're doing quite well in City Up, and I think that they just have too much um, for the likes of Porto. So I think Inter uh, also will go through. 
So let's recap, Gaetano, your picks are Bayern, Milan, Benfica, Dortmund, Real Madrid, Napoli, Manchester City, and Inter. I've gone for PSG, Tottenham, Benfica, Chelsea, Real Madrid, Napoli, City, and Inter. So largely we agree, but there are some where we disagree, and we are so excited, of course, for Champions League football to return. And Champions League first leg action in the round of 16 kicks off next week on February 14th and 15th. The following week, first leg matches continue on February 21st and 22nd. To domestic cup competition, the Carabao Cup semifinals have wrapped up and the finalists have been determined. As per our predictions, it was Newcastle and Manchester, uh, Manchester United rather, who advanced to the final of this competition and have earned their right to compete for a trophy at Wembley on February 26th. G, I'll first ask, did the right two teams advance? Uh, I think so. Uh, over the course of the uh, two legs of the semifinals, I think both uh, Manchester United and Newcastle were far superior to their opponents. Uh, and yeah, they rightfully won their semis. I agree with that fully. And we both picked them to go through and they did just that. Out of those two teams specifically, did, did one of them impress you more than the other? Would you say that they both equally did their jobs to, to give themselves a shot to win this trophy? Yeah, I think they were both pretty comfortable in their victories. Um, you know, playing Southampton and Nottingham Forest, they really should have uh, beat them handily, and they did. So I don't think one was uh, any less impressive than the other. Yeah, I agree with that for different reasons and in different ways. They were both impressive. But like you said, they probably should have beat their opponents, and they did just that. And now to recap the semifinals for you all, it was Southampton who visited Newcastle after being uh, down 1-0 to nil on aggregate after the first leg. It was the electric start of Newcastle led by two goals from Sean Longstaff that saw Newcastle through to the final of this competition. Despite a single Southampton goal, it is Newcastle who win on aggregate by a score of 3-1. to one. Gee, in my opinion, the only, really, the only real knock against Newcastle in this semifinal was that Bruno Guimaraes got sent off late in the second leg of the semifinal. Uh, apart from that, I thought that they were brilliant. I thought that St. James' Park was just bouncing, and for good reason. Your thoughts on this game and Newcastle advancing to the final? Yeah, obviously the red card uh, is a big stain on that, but I'm pretty sure he will be eligible for the final uh, just because the suspension also carries across the Premier League games. So he should be good to go for that. But yeah, other than that, uh, that one little blip, uh, yeah, St. James Park was absolutely rocking. I really hope they get Champions League football because that would just be electric. Um, but yeah, just a, a job well done for them. For certain. And how long has it been since we've seen that stadium happy or cheery, right? And most <laughs> fans, in my opinion, they certainly deserve it. Uh, you know, definitely a hardworking community and uh, what, what a fantastic club. So huge for them to get through to the final, indeed. And in the other semifinal, Manchester United hosted Nottingham Forest after United trumped Forest by a score of 3-0 to nil in the first leg. A somewhat anxious first half from United saw them settle in eventually, and in the final 45 minutes, they were able to put two goals away in the space of three minutes. United would go on to win this game 2-0 and 5-0 on aggregate. Gaetano, it was never really in question for United, apart from a somewhat mediocre first half in the, in the second leg by Ten Hag standards. Uh, in the end, it's pretty comfortable overall for United, and they move on to the final of this competition. Your thoughts on this game and on Manchester United? Yeah, so I thought, yeah, like you said, they were pretty comfortable. Uh, I think it was important for them to keep, keep the clean sheet uh, in both legs. I think that's uh, a really good thing for their confidence. Uh, and they're slowly turning into a Ten Hag team. He's only been there for six-ish months, had now two transfer windows. It's going to take some more time, but you're starting to see the, the foundation, the groundwork laid for them being uh, a real Ten Hag team. Most definitely. So with the final set to take place in about two weeks' times, the, 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 these are the two teams who, how would I say it, I guess like both craving a trophy, if you will, and, and craving yeah. one pretty badly. Um, neither of them have had their hands on one in quite some time, so I think it's going to be a, a final that everyone uh, kind of pays attention to and catches everyone's attention. G, what do you expect from the game, and, and who do you think uh, will end up winning this final and being crowned Carabao Cup champions? So I expect both teams to treat this like a World Cup final. Like you mentioned, neither club has seen a trophy in a very long time. Um, and I think the players will understand the weight of that. Uh, for both teams, kind of different reasons. United, you know, historically uh, being like, you know, a trophy winning team, having not won one since I think 2016 or 2017 now. Newcastle, you know, haven't won a major trophy in God knows how long. Um, so I think they both, both sets of players will understand uh 
the weight of winning this, even though it's, you know, the Carabao Cup. I'm going to go with a 1-0 Newcastle win, Alexander Isaac to score in the 90th minute. <laughs> I like it. Very confident and bold prediction. I am going to have to go the other way. And I'm going to say that Manchester United win this one. I just feel like maybe this is going to kickstart something for them. I think Newcastle have already begun a shift with their new ownership, with uh, the likes of Eddie Howe coming in and, and the players that they've brought in, what have you. So I think that they're going to be steady for the for the years to come. But I think that United now are going to get back on the path that they probably should have been on for quite some time. So I'm going to go for a 1-0 Manchester United victory. Marcus Rashford uh, to score the winner. The final between these two historic clubs will go on Sunday, February 26th at Wembley Stadium. The time of kickoff is currently to be determined. Our next time on full time. We will likely have a kickoff time for you all, as well as some final news before heading into the cup final itself. This is Daniel Scarpino and Gaetano Gallo, and you are listening to Full Time on the Game Sports Show. A reminder that Full Time is sponsored by Little Caesars Pizza. You can download and access the Pizza Portal app for any of the two locations in Sault Ste. Marie, Ontario. Have a delicious, hot and ready pizza from Little Caesars today. Ladies and gentlemen, that is Full Time. As we conclude today's show, we want to extend our deepest thanks and appreciation to all of you. Your support means more than we could ever express. Gee, this was a great deal of fun, man. Thank you for everything tonight. Uh, it's always a pleasure coming on, Scarps. And uh, it's super exciting now that we're doing the videos. So that'll be on YouTube. Uh, yeah, it's, it's been a great time. Most definitely. And it's it's nice that we have that added addition because, you know, a lot of people want to see us talking about the beautiful game, not just <laughs> hearing about it. And for the people who are listening to us in their cars, they can do a little bit uh, of that. But of course, the people who are sitting down to listen to us, they could also watch us now, which is super cool. A reminder to our listeners that the next episode of Full Time will be recorded the week of February 20th, 2023. In that show, we will discuss the conclusion of the round of 16 in the Champions League, highlight upcoming FA Cup matches, and take you through all of the dealings in the world of football. For weekly content, make sure to hit like, follow, and subscribe to all platforms of both the Game Sports Show and the Game Entertainment and Media on YouTube, Spotify, Apple Music, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and Podbean. Be sure to check out our website at www.thegamesportshow.com. That's www.thegamesportshow.com. For Gaetano Gallo, my name is Daniel Scarpino, and thank you for tuning in to Full Time. We look forward to seeing you at kickoff next time, back here on The Game Sports Show and The Game Entertainment and Media. Best always.